Hello and welcome to um, another instalment in the new uh, Wolves Fancast series, Stories from the Pack. Each week uh, we get um, a fellow fan on to talk really about their experiences, you know, their first uh, memories of supporting the club and what the club means to them. Um, I'm delighted for this episode to be do- joined by Jason Guy. Jason, uh, you'll be aware of from the Wolf Whistle podcast. Uh, Jason, how are you doing? I'm okay, thank you very much. And how are you? Yeah, really good, really good. So just before um, we, we started recording, we're having a very brief chat and um, talking of the, the Wolf Whistle, um, you've got a few uh, good names coming up, haven't you? Yes, uh, this week I'm interviewing Carl Henry, who's going to give us his best 11. I'm also interviewing Graham Turner, obviously uh, manager. I mean, he, he was the manager when I first really started supporting the club, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and I'm interviewing Kenny Hewitt on Wednesday. Oh, and actually, Guy Whittingham as well. Uh, Guy ah. Whittingham got back in touch recently, super guy, the soldiers. So, uh, yeah, we're going to get Guy on the podcast as well. So we've got lots of different players and managers from all different areas to, to, to suit everybody, really. Brilliant. And I think from my point of view, just as, as, as a listener, really, what I like about the Wolf Whistle is... Um, you know, how can I put this? There's players on on that pod who perhaps haven't had as distinguished a career as your bullies of this world and so forth, and they're not going to sell out tonight at the Cleveland. However, what you know, what they what they do have is a is a great story behind them. And I was I was chatting the other day about the the podcast, and we we're talking about the Wolf Whistle, and I said. You've got to listen to Nigel Quasi one, and it's yeah. like, what? He was only here for a cup of coffee, but the, the story behind it—I you know, won't spoil it too much—but it talks about his background and getting into yeah. the game and his upbringing. So, was that something you were conscious of in terms of giving those people who perhaps don't have that, you know, um, you know, platform to really talk about their stories as well? And hundred percent. I mean, the funny thing is with it. Um, I find that the, the more recognised, the bigger name the player, the more games they played for Wolves, um, they normally have less downloads than the ones who've only played a handful of games. And I think that's because, mm. obviously, people are inquisitive and they want to hear the story. And, you know, like I said, Nigel Quaz only played three games on a loan, but the backstory is he was brought up on a very tough uh, council estate in London. When he used to get up in the morning to, to go to school, you know, his mum didn't even know whether he'd come back, you know, because his friends were getting stabbed and, you know, so it was mm. quite, a, quite a poignant story. And, and like I said, I find that, that the lesser remembered players are the ones that get the most downloads. Fantastic. So, yeah, no, the back, back catalogue is, is there, obviously. Follow Wolf Whistle um, on Twitter when we put this out. I mean, you'll be aware if you're listening, I would have thought. But if you're not, we'll, we'll obviously tag uh, the podcast in. So feel free to pick, pick your, your favourites by either by players that you've seen or perhaps give someone else a try and you might be surprised at the story that they have. So going on to the, the, the series in hand here, the, the stories from the pack, Um Talk us through, really, Jason, your sort of first... I, I always say Wolves game slash memory because I don't specifically remember my first game. So what's your sort of first memory of going to the game or, you know, the, the, the day itself and as a Wolves fan? Um, I, I came from a single-parent family and, to be honest, none of my family supported Wolves, really, apart from my... My sisters were older than me, so my sister's husband, uh, he was a big Wolves fan. And, you know, he used to tell me stories. And if we played football, you know, he'd, he'd 
recount the memories. But my first game was in 1989, January the 24th. We played Bristol City at Molyneux. Uh, Steve Ball scored a hat-trick, Sherpa Van Trophy. So it, it, it's almost ingrained into me. But like I said, I was from a single-parent family. And so, we, you know, we couldn't really afford to go to any games. And there was no one really to thank me. And I remember my mum told me... Um, the, the day before, I think it was, that we got tickets uh, in the South Bank. So I just remember uh, we lived in uh, Wensfield at the time, and I just remember getting on the 559 bus, or might have been the 59 then, into mm-hmm. town, and there was just swarms of people, and I'd never seen so many people. And then we went into the South Bank, and as we're walking down into the South Bank, I remember, you know, smelling the pies and the hot dogs and, you know, Getting a getting a real flavour for, for the whole day, really. And then, obviously, I just remember that the two stands being open, two stands being closed, and um, the lights were hitting the hitting the grass, and it was just I was mesmerised by it. And then I think we got in probably probably about an hour, an hour and a bit before kick off. And then I remember it just getting the South Bank getting fuller and fuller and fuller to the point where I couldn't even see. <laughs> so. Um, I, I remember being up against a barrier, and then I was trying to sort of, sort of wedge my way up just so I could I could see the pitch, and, and in the end I couldn't. Like I said, Steve Ball scored a hat trick. I was hooked from then on, but 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 like I said, we couldn't afford to go to the matches, so it was a year after that I went to my next one against Lincoln City in the League Cup, um, mm. and then my mom had. Uh, been speaking to a neighbour who lived by us and she'd surprised me by saving up money for a season ticket for me and, and the neighbour used Brilliant. to come to the match. That's fantastic. And it's it kind of resonates sort of the, the story there because similar sort of time scale to myself and also I remember the South Bank but I also remember my dad taking me to Roker Park on the yeah. terraces and I probably didn't see any of the game, literally, because you've got these big burly guys and some are courtesy, some aren't. You don't really see it, but what you do is you feel it, don't you? I know that yeah. sounds a bit cliche and a bit twee, but we're singing from the same hymn sheet and people resonate with that as well. It's So much is about the feel, isn't it? And that sort of yeah. first in- environment of like, wow, shit, this is, this is something else. And I want a bit yeah. more of that, really. So, so kind of you was more of a regular sort of the next year. Then did you do you recall too much of that sort of first season as it was? Or yes, yeah, so like I said, I went to that game and then I went to Lincoln City the following year. Then the following year, I got my first season ticket, uh, which would have been uh, I, uh, would have been 1990, 1990 Um mm. And like I said, I, I, I was in the family enclosure, which was then in the lower Steve Ball, which was then the John Island. Mm. Um, and like I said, I, I was just absolutely hooked. And, you know, I can remember all the scores for, from then. I can remember that. Like now, if you ask me what the score was, Arsenal away last season, I'm not going to lie, I couldn't tell you. But if mm. you ask me what the score was against Blackburn at home that season and who scored and et cetera, and probably the attendance, I could tell you. So it was really weird and, and mm. those things sort of stuck with me. But but um, the more recent, the, the, the less I can remember. But I just remember going up there and once again, uh, my neighbour, we, we, we'd go up on the bus um, and it was just the, 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 the whole day, um, you know, it was just, like I said, I was, I was hooked from then on. I think now I've had a season ticket every year since then, which is probably the best part of 30 years on. Mm. 
it's it's mad, isn't it? Really, it's 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 a weird thing with with, with memory. I don't know if it's it, I, I'm similar, really. That someone will ask me certain games, and then they'll kind of they put you on the spot when you do the podcast, and you think, oh god, yeah, I was I was actually at the game, but I don't remember. But I yeah. think maybe when you first go, you soak so much up, don't you? I guess yeah. really, and it's kind of that. And I think um, people will, will remember sort of the John Ireland as, as it was, and they used to have like games before the, the match, didn't they? Because yeah. it was such a distance between the stand and stuff. Well, um, I was just going to say that that was it because where the John Ireland stand was, um, I think it was something like 40, 50 yards in between the stand and the pitch. And the reason for that was obviously in the decline in the 80s, um, when they'd first built the stand, that the the, uh, the plan was to build the whole ground, move it that way. And obviously mm. they, they built the John Island and then obviously it sent the club, um, you know, it, it, they had financial problems. So obviously they couldn't finish the development. So the pitch stayed where it was. But I remember that the matches they used to have in, mm. in between there. And I remember the once it was quite upsetting, really, because I could never get into the school football team. And um <laughs> All my, all my schoolmates were actually playing there. And I was like, oh, I'll just go to because, you know, it was great going to the match. But then I wanted to be playing. So, yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, I know you're fortunate enough with, you know, meet a lot of the, the, the former players. And that must be crazy for you. So when you look back at that time, who, who sort of stood out for you as a sort of, who was your first sort of hero? I, I, I might know the answer to this one, but go for it. I, I mean, look. Growing up on the wall, there's just pictures of Steve Ball everywhere. <laughs> it was really weird because um, I think he'd opened up a sports shop in Beatty's and I went to meet him and mm. couldn't believe it. And then he opened up uh, a supermarket, I remember, in Essington. I went to see and I couldn't believe it. And, and then, obviously, on my debut, on his, uh, sorry, on my debut, I'm calling it, oh, it's my debut. <laughs> it's not my debut. On my first game, sorry, yeah. I'm interviewing the former players. When you talk first game, you call it, obviously, debut. Yeah. On my first game, um, Steve Paul, obviously, my hero, scored a hat-trick. But when mm. it, was, it, it was weird, really, because it was almost like it was expected because he was scoring that many goals. For Bully to score a hat-trick and do the aeroplane, it was almost like that was going to sort of happen anyway. Um, and obviously, as you say, you fast forward the years and I'm very fortunate that, that you know, Bully's come to my wedding. I've been on Aldi with him. He's a mate of mine mm. now. So it's almost turned full circle and it's, it's quite weird. But you still have to pinch yourselves when you're talking to Bully and Andy Much and Robbie Dennison and players from that era who I remember. Um, you know, and I know I'm, I'm lucky to be able to do that and I'm very lucky to, to call them my friends. Mm. It's it's brilliant, but I think that sort of area, like you say, sort of nineteen ninety as well. Similar to myself, sort of going to the games. You know, bully, bully was was everything. It was it was he he was that team. He was that identity, and you know, it was just it, it was a cultural thing in Wolverhampton. It was yeah. you know. Um, he, he, he was just so synonymous with, with everything, really, and, and the resurgence. So, um, you know, he does get talked about a lot, but kind of rightly so, because for that era, he symbolised so much, you know, and you always felt as if you had a chance, you know, when yeah. when he was in that in that side. So, fantastic. I mean, in terms of, um, Bully, any other players um, that sort of stood out in that era that you looked for or sort of more of a cult era around that time? Um, I, I just remember, obviously, I used to love Paul Cook. I mean, mm. he, was, 
an unbelievable left foot, as, as you can probably remember. Um, so, yeah, Cookie, he was one. And, you know, fast forward in a few years, then you obviously the uh, the money started coming, obviously. So Jack was, was investing in the club and then we got players such as Jeff Thomas, Kevin Keane, David Kelly. And, mm. and it's quite weird because in 1989, yes, there was a resurgence, but it was almost like, you know, we still wasn't really spending money and we still couldn't attract certain players. And we was the, the players we were getting, we weren't paying much for, but but they were all great players. And, and every transfer that, that Graham Turner and every player he signed used to seem to come off. But then we started signing, like I said, Jeff Thomas, David Kelly, Kevin King, Don Goodman. John DeWolf, and, and these were players that I never thought that, that the club I supported would ever be able to attract, and they did. So mm. Amazing. And I think that's the thing, really. We, it, it was a time where, you know, you saw the sort of stadium taking shape and you and as you say, there was a resurgence sort of on, on the field. But it was off the field at that, that era, really, where yeah. things started to develop and you thought, oh, just look around us now. Things are going to take shape. And I don't know if it was at that time or, or, or a later period. That was your sort of first home experience with the money. And do you remember your, your first away game uh, at all, James? I certainly do. My first away game was the 29th of December. Uh, and that would have been 29th of December, 1989. Wolves played West mm. Bromwich Um One all. Uh, I mean, my first mm. away game away at West Brom. My brother-in-law <laughs> took me. And we went in this medic and I remember we went on a coach. Um and were, oh God, you could have made an omelette with what they chucked at it. There was eggs, tomatoes, mm. blocks of chicken, everything, <laughs> everything was just being chucked up. So, so I was quite scared because I was only a young lad. Yeah, and yeah. And I thought, I don't really want to. Anyway, <clears throat> got into this medic end, and I think that mm. match, I could not see anything. You know, mm. I couldn't. Mm. And um, West Brom scored first, 1 0, Gary Bannister, 27 minutes. And then it was, I think it was the 94th minute, Rob March popped up with the equaliser. Uh, my good mm. friend Colin Taylor also played in that game, um, and you know what an experience! First away game at West Brom. You know we get yeah. points in in literally the dying seconds. What was yours, Hoops? What was your mine? That's a good question. I I've got a feeling there's there's a couple there's a couple of memories that I have. I remember Roker Park vividly, and I, I I think Goodman was playing for Sunderland at the time. Yeah. And I, th- I think that they, they, they beat us. But then there's little different things I remember. I, you mentioned, um, got, um, well, I don't know if it was on, on recording, but if it wasn't, we were talking about Guy Whittingham earlier, is, is a name yeah. that. Um, yeah. and, I re- and I remember, I think it was Notts County away. Um, but there's just, there's just, for me, it's weird because I can't think of a date. Like your your recollection is brilliant. I can just, yeah. I just remember a little thing. I remember, for example, going to Tranmere and we went to Tranmere and I remember ever so well because I was obviously quite young at the time and my dad says yeah. oh how, how much for him and he went oh just carry on sort of thing and let us in for free and that was kind of what I remember really yeah and I, um, I remember going to the county ground and we got lost and we were like one nil down so I'd have to to look back probably my first away game if it counts if it's non-wars was Probably, and it's a famous one, when um, my dad took me to, to Wembley to watch Bully against uh, uh, Czechoslovakia. Wow. Um, so that was... the best one. Yeah, so that, that was... I remember that. I mean, there was a coach put on. So that was probably my first game away from Molyneux. 
And then I think my dad kind of just took me to games where he thought, yeah, he can probably get away with taking me to that one. And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, but but I remember, you know, grounds like Notts County and, and Roker Park and the atmosphere. And I remember the terraces at, at Roker Park, which probably would have been my first domestic one. And yeah. as you say, similar experience in terms of, just yeah it wasn't a derby but just an, an atmosphere and it, it was like oh you know it was i don't know it's great it's just great thinking back to those those times oh. you can get you can get nostalgic and we saw some crap as well in terms of on the pitch but yep. it was just kind of the feeling that this is a different world which you know i suppose we didn't watch a lot of tv on, on at the time really football not like you do now but it was yeah. so it was it was it was such a fantastic experience, really. Um, I think as well, Hoops, we, we obviously, you know, it's what we're doing now. We didn't have the distraction of social media then. So to get your football fix, you did have to go to matches. Um, mm. Like you said, there wasn't that much on the TV. Um, you know, the next best thing really was 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 magazines. So, you know, to, to, to really get the experience, you know, you did have to go to the match. And I think it's funny you should say that about the Tramere and Sunderland games, because... I think I went to those as well, and then I had a bit of a bit of a break, uh, and then the next away was I don't know if you remember we played Watford in the FA Cup and we won four mm. one, um, which once again was a was a fantastic day. So I was quite lucky really in the earlier ways that that we used to we used to win a lot, but I wasn't as lucky as you to get to go to the Czechoslovakia game because that would have been amazing. It was it was it was a strange one really. I I think it's one of those to be honest, mate, where. The enormity of it probably is more uh, sort of prevalent with me now. It kind of feels, we're talking to you now, I'm like, yeah, actually, that was a big deal. And when I listen yeah. back to some of the stories from Bully and the connection between that and the World Cup, but at the, the, t- at the time, so I was, how old was I? So uh, I was about seven, eight. So at the, at the time, it was kind of like, I remember going, I remember getting the scarf. I remember yeah. the old Wembley and the Swin Towers. Um, but yeah, that 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 was a fantastic experience. Um, what's been your best away game in terms of you know? I know that that, that you can probably answer that in a couple of ways in terms of for enjoyment and results, but um, actually, the, the the best away game, uh, and I've, like I said, I've been to a lot, I've been sporting them for thirty odd years, and mm-hmm. to be honest, because I didn't go to too many away matches in the early days um you know yes the West Brom one sticks out but Mm. look the best away game ever for me wasn't that far back it was obviously Cardiff um Mm. I mean that was just unbelievable and the the reason being is obviously uh, Nevers had scored that absolutely fantastic goal um the free kick and then obviously (coughs) towards the end they got the two penalties and the first penalty I just remember looking at the lad next to me and I I shook my head and um, I, I still felt mm. a little bit confident though. And, you know, I remember the lad looking at me and he was distraught that, that Cardiff got the penalty. Mm. So I looked at him, I said, look, mate, they've got to score it yet. And that's mm. me. I've, you know, been to games for, you know, like I said, 30 odd years and anything can happen. And uh, I said, look, you know, they've got to score it yet. And they didn't. And then seconds mm. later, they got a penalty. And I was distraught then because I thought, <laughs> oh my God. That, that's it now we, we've blown it that they're going to score and mm. I looked at the lad and he turned around and went they've got to score it yet mate and <laughs> so that, I just couldn't couldn't believe that and so that one sticks out and obviously it was a recent one I remember the score as well so can't be bad 
Brilliant. And and we always kind of on, on this, we look at sort of the, the highs and the, the lows. So uh, I guess really if we, if we start with the um, the lowest you felt as, as, a, as a football fan. So you were going into towards 89-90. As you say, we signed a number of players and there was some, was some promotion uh, heartache there. What in that early era did you kind of think, God, what, what am I putting myself through this? Did you have that sort of moment? Uh, well, I think obviously when we when we first got promoted, um, Graham Taylor, we had two, two successive promotions in uh, 87, 88, and 88, 89. And then obviously we was languishing in the what's now the, the championship for several years. And then obviously Sir Jack Hayward started spending money, but the expectancy levels have grown just as they have now. And mm. I, I just obviously the, the game for me was obviously bolting away in the playoffs where we'd done obviously so much in the home leg and to, to go to Bolton. And, and, and we, we, I think we almost knew that it was going to be one of Bully's last chances to, to, to help get us up. And, and that was just, you know, I just remember, I didn't cry at that match, but I just remember being absolutely mm. just, just devastated and destroyed the fact that, um, that, that we, we'd probably lost our chance. And then, and I, I just knew that we wasn't going to come back bouncing next season, and and, and you know we didn't. Um, so so that was probably the game for me. That was ultimately the lowest. That and the only the only other two games I've cried, I have actually cried at are the playoff final because mm. obviously we waited for so long to get there, and then we did it. And the other one was uh, Brighton away when you know Mr O'Hara, uh, you know decided to be paying more attention to what was going on in the crowd than what was going on on the pitch, which ultimately cost us our championship status. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I think, you know, yeah, the, the, the Bolton one for me was just, I remember I, I spoke on, on the last part about this one, it came up, I think I watched it on the video wall when it, they did the beam back, and yeah. they, they, you know, the images that we see now, and we won't dwell on it because let's keep it positive, but at that yeah. time, I think what, what you mentioned there is probably right, it felt like an all or nothing game, didn't it really? It kind of felt as if the money's been invested and it's and it's now or never. Yeah. Um, but on, 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 a, on a positive note then, would you say that the Cardiff final is probably your uh, moment where you thought, God, it's not going to get any better than that at that time? Or Yeah, I mean, look, um, you, when, when you followed Walls for as long as, as we have, nothing is unexpected in the end and anything can happen. And the thing was for me, yes, we're 3-0 up at half-time, but I still wasn't enjoying the game. Even in the second half, I thought, right... You know, Sheffield United are going to pull one back, then two, then three, then four, then, you know, I could see mm. it coming. And um, then they got the penalty. Matt Murray saved it. And even then, I still didn't think that we was home and dry. And it wasn't until Sir Jack put the thumbs up. And then, yeah. and then I think he almost said to us, looks all right now we're up. And, and, and then that's when I started crying and everyone else. And you're looking at ground men and... You know, who were obviously I was I was in early twenties, and then there's there's guys in their thirties and forties and fifties mm. crying their eyes out, and you're like, wow, wow, just that day was just unbelievable, unbelievable. Brilliant, brilliant, and and really, why I ask everyone really because I think you know what how I see the football club, and I'm sure many share the same sentiment is 
the, the football club sort of forms part of the city and it's the heartbeat of the city. So, how obviously I know you you know how you feel strongly about the club, but how do you feel that links in with the city and how the city and the football club are important to be in, you know intertwined and the success of it you know has a net you know feel without around the city. But it does. I mean, you know, it's 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 a fact that, that financially that the city does better when when the club's doing better. And, you know, that, that's completely evident. And I think where Wolves uh, are lucky in a, a couple of uh, couple of ways is we are a one-club city. So we do get, you know, you know we're not like Birmingham where, where there's two clubs you can support. There is only Wolves. Um, and the fact that the, the club, like you said, the heartbeat of the city, it's so close to the, the city centre. And I think it's it's one of the few remaining clubs which, are, which is still in the city centre. Um, mm. And, you know, I've got fours and against if, if, if they want to move and, and, you know, I understand why and if and but I think it is it, it has been, like you said, the heartbeat of the city that, you know, from from having a few pints before the match to, to walking under the subway and to seeing the statues it is just a huge, huge part of the day. Um, and I think sometimes when when these clubs uh, are moved onto industrial estates and to brownfield sites that that can be lost but i think we look at walls and we, we, we've still got that i think that's the thing really i saw on twitter today someone posted a photo of main road and that sort of yeah. stuck out to me you probably saw it as well with the alleyways and so forth and i went to main road and that's a pure example i mean the etihad you've probably been it is beautiful it's absolutely stunning and that team yeah. is incredibly successful and I can be a little bit nostalgic and some people might go, actually, you've got to move on. And I get all that and I, and I get that. And you've got to go with the times and to be successful, you have to change. But I think I don't want to lose that essence of that community in terms of that ground is there and the alleyways and so forth around it are kind of part of it. So, but, yeah. you know, it, it may be a nice problem for us for us to have. Um, I mean, it's, it's, it's strange times at the moment because... I'm being nostalgic because we haven't got any football at the moment anyway. Oh, but, but it's 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 but it's crazy um, to to look back. But in talking of the, the the present team, I mean, you know, you talk about when you know similar trajectory really to myself. This is the best we've ever had it, haven't we? Really, as we're talking now. Uh, oh, look, from being a Wolves fan. Um, this is the best I've ever seen, and you know, I, look, I don't remember the seventies, and we had a really good team in the seventies. Mm. Um, but you speak to the fans from the seventies, and they say this is the best team they've ever seen. And I think then, really, you've got to go back as far as the the, the you know the, the late fifties when we were yeah. sort of well the fifties where we were winning everything. So yes, this is the best team we've seen, but with. Uh, this this grandeur and this football we're playing and all this success and, and the money comes a high expectancy level. So mm. when we was going to the, the matches in the late 80s, we remember how bad it was and, and the 90s when, you know, we was the needy men and, and not quite good enough and spending loads of money on journeymen that, you know, I don't think the heart was really there. And, you know, we, we obviously, we didn't go up and we was languishing uh, but the expect the expectancy levels now. You, you've got people who don't clearly remember that and know that young people, and and so all they know is success. All they know is fame. Mm. All they know is the Chinese ownership. All they know is money. All they know is Europe. And you know what? So you know, I I, I, can, I get a bee in my bonnet with them sometimes on Twitter. But the reality is, it, it's it's all they know. <laughs> 
Yeah, and, and, and this is it. And, and I think I've got to caveat that with when I say it's the best we've experienced, I say it the we is in as a generational thing, completely, yeah. you know, respect the fact that, you know, the Wolves were one point, you know, proclaimed champions of the, you know, the world effectively champions yeah. of, of Europe and so forth. So we, we know that and we haven't reached that. But I think there is that pinch in me moments when there, there's this generation and, and a couple prior to it where you have to embrace it and go, this is really good. So we're all hoping as we reminisce that, you know, when it's safe and all clear to do so that we'll get the football back up and running. Have you got any thoughts on that? I'm not putting you on the spot here, hopefully, but in yeah. terms of, is it due to you the opinion, let's write this one off, or your opinion, let's see, see it out as and when we can? Or uh, it, it, It's a really difficult one, Hoops, because obviously if you look at social media, the, the, from all the... Um, you know, from from all the Sky Sports football and all, all these these blue tick accounts, there's there's so many different options and stories and theories coming up of when it's going to be done. I think ultimately the season has got to be finished somehow. How I don't know. Um, but but no, the flip side of it is there's people losing their lives, there's people fighting for their lives, there's people mm. in hospital, there's people losing loved ones, and what that really does is put football into perspective. Um, but, you know, life must go on. Uh, but I don't know how they're going to finish the season. They do need to do it, but I've just got no idea how. And I think on, on that, that James, it just made me think, actually, just <laughs> finally, um, talking there in terms of the personal touch. I know you've been involved on social media about the NHS Trust and the former Wars yeah. players as well. So um, I don't know if you want to take that up, but just or add on to, to sort of my two cents on that. We'll put the details up there. There's, I think, lots of memorabilia going up there at the moment yeah. for people to bid. So, obviously, this is a time of recording, but I think this will be a continuous effort. So, obviously, we know it's a difficult period, but we'll put the information out there as well. So, yeah. um, but I think that's gone really well so far as well. With um, again, I think that's the community and the football club working as one as well. Oh, 100%. And you know. Look, I, I help the former players and I help them, the Wolves All-Stars. And, and the problem has been over the years, um, there hasn't been a great link between the club and the former players. And, and mm. that's a fact. However, you know, they have got the Wolves FPA set up now who are doing fantastic work. It's set up within the club. Um, Richard Green and Paul Berry are a big part of that. And there's former players, John Richard, Steve Daly, Matt Murray, etc. on the committee. And they're doing a fantastic job. So now the link between the club and the former players is better than it ever was which is fantastic. And testament to that is the fact that Carl Henry has has rallied a lot of former players up to raise nearly £50,000 for the NHS, which is fantastic. Uh, that's on top of, of, of the money that the current players have already give. Um, so, you know, initi initiatives like that are, are obviously much needed. And, you know, it, it just proves, like you said, the link between uh, the, the club and, and the former players. Fantastic. And I think with that, you know, um, we know football's on pause and we know the reasons why, but it's still fun to reminisce and talk about, you know, memory lane. This is what we're doing on the fan cast and this is what you're doing on, on the Wolf Whistle as well. So yeah. um, all, all I would say really to people listening, if you want to share your stories as well, get in touch with us on the fan cast. We've just uh, recently launched an alternative Hall of Fame. Listen back to those episodes. Which Jason is, you know... I was just going to say, which is very, very good. I've listened to, obviously, the George Ellicobi one, uh, the John DeWolf one. Uh, look, they're, they're fantastic. So you guys are going to keep up the good work as well because that's, you know, a really good idea. And, and you have got to reinvent yourself almost. Mm. Um, but 
have done if you found it. I think the podcasts uh, are a great way of, of getting information over. Uh, and now more and more people are listening to them because there is no football. Yeah, no, it's a busy time. We've we've got a lot of these lined up. You mentioned Paul Berry. We're going to be joined by Paul Berry on the. He's going to do his stories as well. We've got a lot of people lined up. So between us all, we'll we'll put the content out there. Um, okay. When is and uh, and we'll keep things going. So I think from both of us, um, thanks for listening and uh, stay safe and uh, and stay well. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Spring? Is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Super Light Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step, and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Super Light Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Super Light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24.